Welcome to NC State University's Sport and Entertainment Venue Management Podcast, where we talk about the issues that impact effective and efficient management of sport and entertainment facilities and events. As a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, sport facilities across the globe have been shut down. While the impact on all aspects of the sport and entertainment industry is certainly to be unprecedented, there are still many more questions than answers. In this podcast series, we're going to talk about the sequence of events that occurred in sport venues as the COVID-19 pandemic unfolded. What were the initial warning signs to venue managers and how did they respond? What actions were taken in the early stages and as the pandemic expanded and government restrictions were imposed? Our first guest is Mr. David Olson, Executive Vice President and General Manager of PNC Arena here in Raleigh, North Carolina, which is home to the Carolina Hurricanes and NC State University's men's basketball team. Mr. Olson is a 30-year veteran in the venue management business and a lecturer in the Sport and Entertainment Venue Management Program here at NC State University. All right, so welcome. Uh, uh, We've got our group going here together for the first time for this podcast, looking at uh, the effects of COVID-19 here in 2020 on the sport venue business in America. Um, As I mentioned before, we've got... uh, uh, Mr. David Olson, who's the general manager of PNC Arena here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Also joining us today is uh, uh, newly tenured associate professor, Dr. Kyle Buns, um, who's also in the Department of Parks, Recreation, Tourism Management here at NC State and teaches in the Sport and Entertainment Venue Management Program. And Ms. Ellie Whittington, who is a graduate student in our program, is joining us today. And Ellie has uh, worked closely with uh, Mr. Olson over at PNC Arena. She's also um, has a great background in um, sport and entertainment, and uh, uh, is going to offer some of her insights and commentary as we go along with this as well. So, what we thought we'd do with this first one is really just get started on kind of a chronology of what happened. Um, all of us sort of started talking about this and potential impacts back uh, in January uh, of this year, and then saw things really start to take effect uh, in late February, and then everything kind of hit the fan in March. So Dave, why don't you kind of get us started here and, and think back to when you first started um, hearing some of this stuff and uh, when it started to occur to you that, holy cow, this is something that we're going to have to deal with and, and what were kind of the steps you followed after that? Well, I think it all started for us when the NBA player uh, was announced that he uh, he had the virus and that caused the NBA, the NHL uh, to make some serious decisions about how we were gonna handle things moving forward. And uh, ironically, uh, this gentleman, uh, it became public after they played a game in Detroit that he was exposed and had the virus. Ironically, we played the Red Wings two nights later and our team announcer, uh, Johnny Forson, stayed in the same room as this player two days later. I heard that in the news, and then he had to come back. Yeah, he had to come back quarantine. in quarantine immediately. Yeah. And so it all kind of started around that time. I want to say this was probably the last week of February. Uh, and then uh, some, some decisions were made very quickly uh, by both professional sports leagues that they were going to shut down and evaluate um, – things and then make a decision on what the future was going to be. And so which was the first, you guys remember who who was the first league to, to shut down? Was that the NBA? The NBA for sure. It was, it was the NBA. I I remember pretty vividly because my wife and I had gone into the hospital 
uh, for my wife to give birth to our third kid. And the I was watching the Oklahoma City Thunder game because I'm from Oklahoma, and that's the game that they were about to tip off. Wait, wait a minute. They, your wife's having a baby, and you're watching. All right. Well, well, she wasn't in labor yet. We'd gone in for the induction. Don't let her listen to this podcast (laughs) when we're done here. She knew that. So they pulled him off the, pulled him off the court. Um, So the NBA was the first one. And then they started kind of stopping games that night. They stopped games mid game. Yeah. Like the, the West coast in particular, Mm -hmm. uh, because they were watching Seattle at the moment, it was the real hot spot in the country. And uh, there was a game at, I think it was the Clippers and somebody in, in uh, Staples Center. And mid-game, they just stopped the game, sent everybody home. All right. So what what was kind of the reaction at PNC Arena then when, when you saw that, that they'd canceled games? and? Well, then then this thing got real, um, not just in, in the perspective of there's a major virus out there we don't know anything about, but it got real in our industry in that now they're making decisions to shut us down. And with very little notice, I mean, it happened within uh, probably two days of the NBA, the NHL shut down. I mean, that was, that's one of the amazing parts of this story to me is how quickly those decisions were made. I mean, Dave, you've been in this business a long time. Um, Decisions like are never made quickly. I mean, just rule changes and, and, and industry changes usually take months, if not years to come to fruition. This well, it's going to be, a, it's going to be kind of reverse role now because it's going to take months for them to figure out when we're going to open back up. Yeah. Uh, shutting down turned out to be pretty quick and easy. You know, you shut her down and then uh, turn the lights off. Uh, but coming back and, and, and we can talk about that after yeah. the chronology yeah. here, but coming back to be a lot harder than, than it was shutting her down. So end of February, um, NBA shuts down and then NHL quickly follows suit. Um, those aren't the only tenants in your building and those aren't the only shows and things that go on. So what happened after that? Well, fortunately, NC State was done. So they were kind of already out of the way. It happened like the week before they finished. So uh, it didn't affect us collegiately, uh, but it did affect uh, globally. You know, uh, as we all know, the NCAA shut down and, and all the other sporting uh, events through the collegiate levels were shut down. So yeah. it, was a, it was a snowball effect that started uh, the second or last week of February that finally caught us about uh, my last event, I believe I told you, was May 6th. Uh, I had a conference. March, March 6th. Or, I'm sorry. Um, yeah. There were a lot of things that went into that decision uh, that I can start with that Monday uh, Larry Perkins, my assistant GM, and I got called to the governor's office for a meeting on shutting down the arena. And it wasn't just the arena. It was that whole shutting down, creating the distancing thing. They were now starting to figure out how they were going to do things. So Larry and I sat in a meeting. There was probably, oh, 20 people in the meeting. All the people that you see on uh, when Governor Cooper talks, all that, all his people that surround him were in that room along with Larry and I. Uh, and several others. And so they wanted to have a discussion about how it was going to affect private industry uh, as well as uh, the public. So we had a very good conversation. Um, Do you remember what some of the questions were? Well, a lot of it was about how we're going to do it and, and, uh, you know, what steps have to be taken. And, but we, we had, 
we have a great relationship with Governor Cooper. He's a big hockey fan. I've known him since he was the AG uh, for years. And so Larry and I actually had an opportunity to get a couple of private minutes with him because the decision was made that day on that Monday um, <clears throat> that they were going to shut down. They were going to start the distancing thing that you can't have groups of 10 yeah. uh, and that kind of thing. And it started at 50. So we had told the governor that we had a show, we had a sold out show of Billy Eilish on Thursday. And I asked the governor if he could make his announcement and not go into effect on Friday, it would get us out of these shows, zero impact. And uh, right. then we, we could just follow suit after that. Cause at that point are, are the entertainers at the part of the show crew is already there, right? They're starting to get set up. For well, uh, no, I'm no, the trucks weren't there. I think she played the night before us. Uh, okay. So, but the end result was we wanted to get these two shows in. So, the governor agreed. Uh, I asked him to give me till Saturday. He agreed. His PR guy told me that he agrees to do it through Friday. So Friday, he came out with his announcement of voluntary distancing, basically. Right. Yeah. And how much? It, sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. How much did you see an impact? So as North Carolina at this point, the ACC has already canceled their tournament. Yep. So things are shut down in Greensboro. And at this point, the hotspot is already in the Raleigh-Durham area. Correct. Did you see an impact on the fans or the attendance, the attendees, excuse me, on Thursday and Friday? So um, we got a lot of uh, non-favorable feedback from the parents of the young ladies that were coming to see Billie Eilish. They, they weren't happy that we were doing the show. Uh, but the governor had not, on Thursday, had not made any statement yet as far as distancing and, and how many people can constitute a crowd and whatever. That that didn't come public until Friday. And so Thursday happened. Um, we're still dealing with some backlash on the PR of our moms that are still not happy with us and that we did the show. But we had no reports of any incidents from the show. Friday's show, unfortunately, Friday got interesting. Now the governor's come out and made a statement. All right. And he made it voluntary. So to break this down in industry terms, this is how this thing went. And this is where things got a little squirrely in that the governor's made his statement. We have a great relationship with the governor, so we don't want to go against what he's advising and his people are advising. But I had a, I had a promoter who stood to lose hundreds of thousands of dollars if he canceled his show. And uh, he took the position that nor the governor nor the county, because the governor was now turning these decisions over to the counties, had made a statement that he had to shut down. So that Friday, uh, consequently, my wife is a physician's assistant. She ends up with a low-grade fever at noon on Friday, so I had to leave work to self-quarantine because we didn't know what was wrong with her. So during that time period, there were a series of phone calls that went back and forth between my boss, who's the president of our organization, and the chairman of the county commission of Wake County, who did not want us to do the show. And uh, I'm talking while they're on the phone, I'm hearing what's being said, and I'm giving my feedback that all that all the county had to do was say it's mandatory shutdown. The 
commissioners and their legal people made a decision that they didn't want to play in that uh, in that arena, then they they let the show go on. Uh, the following week, uh, two things happened. One on Wednesday, I get a phone call from the county health official telling me that a young lady that was in attendance at the show Friday had tested positive with the virus, and we have to go public with that. When did that happen? That happened Wednesday. So uh, by Thursday morning, uh, well, Wednesday, we started to to rally our troops from a PR standpoint and get uh, people involved who that this is what they do for a living and give us some advice. So we worked on what the statement was going to be. We did it in conjunction with the county, so we were saying the same thing. So basically, the county wrote the press release. We gave our input. They added it into the press release. Yeah. And by Thursday at 2 o'clock, somebody had sent, and it became public. And by 5 o'clock, we were on the news and and blah, blah, blah. And then the, 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 the funniest part, not funny, but uh, the following Monday, a week later, that a week after this whole thing came out, uh, the, the county commissioner chairman ripped us on his Facebook uh, for doing the event and uh, how irresponsible we were and and all those kinds of things. And uh, which, was, which was interesting because if I wanted to rebut, I would just say you had an opportunity to pull the plug on this and y'all chose not to. So shame on you. Right. But right. from a business standpoint, the guy, the promoter had me because I had a contract with him. Nobody had said it was mandatory to shut down. And his position is I'm playing my show. Everybody's here. The artists are here. The, the equipment's here. Um, we're going to play. And so the only other option we had at that point was, uh, excuse me, folks in the background. I have a dog. Uh, yeah. They, uh, they made a decision, and, and if I would have, I could have uh, shut it down on per my contract with the promoter, but we would end up having writing him a check for, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars on money he lost. Yeah, so let's. So, right, I'm back. So now, now that now that Dave's taking care of his dog, um, we're we're back we're back now live now again. She'll, she'll get a little zap. Now she'll get a little zap. <laughs> a humane zap. That's right. All right, oh, Ellie, you got behave because that's a working tool I use. <laughs> Jeez. Ellie's got a question for you. Yeah. So you mentioned that yourself and Larry Perkins asked the governor to hold off until Monday, at least to put in the order. What was your reasoning behind that? Because I had to get my shows in on Friday and Thursday and Friday. I wanted him to wait till Saturday. So till what Saturday. he did was he made the announcement Friday that was taking effect Saturday. So he acquiesced. He just did it his way. So if, if, if he had made the announcement beforehand, again, that initial announcement wasn't a mandate. It was strongly recommended or strongly suggesting, right. right? So you still would have been essentially obligated to run your concert because they were there. They had a contract. If you had canceled the concert, wouldn't you be liable for yeah. the terms of the contract? Yeah, we would have had to write him a check for three or 400000 whatever he was going to right. claim to be. Right. So it was a financial decision for you. Yeah. And, and we made that clear. This, this was kind of the, the frustrating thing with the, uh, the county was we made it clear to the county. 
that that if, if we force them to shut down, we're going to have to write a check. And unless they want to write that check for me, yeah. we can't make them do that. Yeah. And they didn't want to write the check for me. So, yeah. So things were in flux nationwide. I mean, every state is, was probably dealing with these same decisions um, in the first two weeks in March. Oh yeah. yeah. Cause there, there were major tours out there that, that were getting ready to, I mean, Elton John, uh, there were some, there were some, some big tours that were out that were it, mid mid tour that they yeah. had to shut them down. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so, so it, it, it didn't work in any, no counting state city seemed to just shut down immediately. Anyways, they had to give a couple day grace period. Um, because of things like, like that, I assume. So I think that was pretty par for the course really in how we shut things down. Well, I, I don't yeah. think, you know, the, 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 unfortunate situation with this virus is, is globally, there was no game plan. And right. so it was all, you know, shoot from the hip on everything you did with hopefully consulting the smartest people, you know, yeah. surround yourself and come up with the best decisions. But I mean, as we stand here, you know, it's, it's changes daily. So in, in the venue business, um, and I know you guys have this at PNC arena, you have an emergency action plan, right? Planning for all kinds of contingencies, you know, fire, you know, storms, active shooter. Um, did you have a pandemic? No, we didn't know what we had that was relative and had none, whether it was a pandemic or, somebody getting sick and, and not being able to perform, we have protocols in place for cancellations, for right. um, uh, postponements, whatever it may be. And it, and it, and it, it is all handled by our marketing people to get the messages out there to the media folks. So it, we have a, a template for any crisis that we implement once yeah. it happens. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, all right. So, so let's keep going on the, on the chronology, the, the chronology of the events uh, as they occurred here. So um, you ran those last two concerts and then that was it um, shutting down. What, what were the decisions at that point? What were, what were some well, of the now, next steps? Now it comes down to, um, you know, we, we are owned by an owner who's financially responsible for everything and everybody in the organization. And so that became the next series of conversations from the ownership was how, how are we going to handle this? Because, uh, at first we looked at it, um, that we were not going to lay people off or we're not going to do furloughs. Um, and then after about a week or 10 days, you started to see the, the, snowball effect of other teams were starting to make decisions and other organizations were making decisions. Yeah. And, um, there were two concerns, the full-timers and the part-timers. Yeah. So let's, let's stop there for a second. So, I mean, I'm sure everybody's aware that all of these events, there's a huge number of part-time employees to help make these events run. And if, if there's no event, those employees are not getting paid. They're not salaried. So, well, is it, so that was a big part of the, the so early on decision factor here. Yeah, early on the decisions had to be made on part time staff. Do you pay them right. through the end of the month for the events that they were scheduled to work, or you don't? Yeah. Initially, the answer was no, uh, and then 
you started to see it started actually with the player that had the virus stepping up and saying he was going to give a half a million dollars toward the part-time staff. Uh, and then you start to see the snowball effect of players actually getting engaged. So, so that was staff. what question I was going to ask. Do you think it was the players themselves that kind of uh, got this going yeah. saying, Hey, we're going to pay for the part-time employees that are being displaced. And then subsequently the owners followed suit and said, no, we'll take care of it. I think they baited the owners. <laughs> And, and that's exactly what and, I think. And, and, a, and a few guys were out there and they were strong yeah. and including our players, our players yeah. put up $50,000 for, to go towards a part-time staff. So uh, it was, it was a great thing. It was a great man up by the players because, yeah. Yeah. you know, it showed they, they actually, cool. you know, I can't tell you how many, how many athletes even know the part-timers or what they do or those kinds of things to turn around and say, Oh, by the way, you know, we want to help them. That was, that was genuine by, by everybody involved. And then the owners all of a sudden stepped up. Some hockey teams ownership said that they were going to pay their part-timers and NBA owners started to say it. Next thing you know, they all got put in a position where it was the right thing to do. Yeah. But, but let's be clear in most cases that only went till the end of the end of March, right? Correct. The yeah. last, the last check was March was through the pay period of March 31st. Right. And when this decision was made, it was mid-March. So we're talking about two, two weeks. weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's, I mean, it's still good. It's, but It's real money. It's real money. Yeah. It's, it's real money. 700 employees an event. We probably had 10 events left in a month. I mean, you can do the math very quickly. Yeah. It's real yeah. money. Yeah, no, I, I get that. It was substantial. And so that, that became part of the decision process early on. We weren't going to do anything. And then everybody... I think the owners got gilded into it by the athletes, yeah. and it yeah. worked. Good for them. Did the NHL say anything about the payment for employees, or did no, they stay out of it? No, they they left it up to each individual team. And I'm not even saying all the teams did it. I know we did. I know some other teams that have, but I don't yeah, know I don't that know. everybody did it. Yeah, yeah, hard to say. <laughs> so, okay, so um, got through the end of March. Now we're moving into April. Um, full-time step, most of the full-time staff are there. When was the decision made to start furloughing? Is that right? Is that a word? That L- word. Furloughing. <laughs> furloughing. The, uh, the, the action of furlough. I want our, to say. Our new associate professor. Is that a, is that a word? Furloughing? I believe so. Word? Okay. Word? Okay. It is now. Legit. That's <laughs> um, I want to say the second pay period of April is when we started making decisions about furloughs. And layoff. Okay. What was the reaction to that from your employees? Do you know um, when we made a decision, we were doing it, and everybody had to submit their list of who would be furloughed if there were layoffs, um, and then it became the responsibility of the vice presidents to call the individuals individually and uh, talk to them and tell them what 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 was happening and. I had about uh, 25 of those calls I had to make and uh, painful. Uh, yeah. But like, I mean, exaggeration. these are, these are smart people. They knew this was coming. Yeah, I've talked, coming. I've talked with a few of them and every one of them said, I, I knew that phone call was coming. And, and actually I had probably three or four of them say, I feel bad for you having to make this call, but, yeah. but we get yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it went. I'm sure it's way one better of the than things you've had to do. It went way better than when we did it in 05 
during the lockout. Those people didn't see that coming, and and they and they were blindsided. That's right, I forgot about that. And yeah. I lost, and and they weren't furloughed uh, in 05. They were laid off, and so there were 35 positions that I lost across the arena that never got filled. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was a whole different situation. At least my heart didn't hurt as much this time as 05 because I know they're coming back. It'll be their choice to come back, but we yeah. held their positions. Yeah. Uh, for most part. So so you're down to pretty much a skeletal staff now in the building. So let's let's talk about that that right now. So the building um you know has to be maintained at yeah. a certain level. I'm I'm assuming the ice is out. Ice is out. Ice was the first thing to come out. Uh, probably a week after the league shut down, uh, right. our owners said, take it out. Um, you know, and, and there's a, there's a cost for that. I mean, it's, it's $1,500 a day to keep it in versus probably $50 a day with it out. Yeah. Um, yeah. so those are real easy decisions to make. How long does it take to get the ice back in? If It takes 38 hours to do it right. Okay. Yeah. So not a big deal. All right. No, turn not in the scheme of things. Absolutely not. So what, so, How's the building operate? Like what's going on in the building now? So right now, so then we, we, we made a decision on furloughs and then we made a decision on who was, who was a priority that they had to be in the building. And so, yeah, so essential, essential staff. Yeah. So we, we kind of streamlined that down to uh, my uh, senior director of facilities and operations, three of his technicians to keep the building you know, we had, which is classic of this is when it happens. He sent me an email. I wasn't in yesterday. He sent me an email and said, by the way, we had a pipe break on the main concourse. Yeah. And, and you got to maintain, there, you know, that, that could be catastrophic. So that's the reason. And you got to keep the building secure. Right. I mean, and so we have 24 hour security. We cut back a little bit and then we, I think we're putting it back in, but that what we cut back was just a person on, on each shift that we didn't, we didn't need somebody sitting at the VIP desk because there's nobody coming in the VIP door. So we were able to, to uh, furlough one of those people. Um, and then like myself, I, I don't go, I don't have to go in every day. Uh, we're technically supposed to under the governor's orders be at home. And so, but I, I'm not good at that. So I go in every day for five hours and then spend the afternoons by phone. Um, and so there's, probably four of us VP level that are there every day uh, for, I don't know how long other people stay. I only know how long I stay. Um, yeah. I stay till I get my stuff done. And then, but there's so many things going on right now. You could, you could easily be on one or two conference calls every day right now with some group of people in our industry that want to talk about this. So is, is the conversation now about how we're going to come back? Yeah. Next yeah. steps. That's that's what's dominating the conversation. About. That's all you're talking about. So, for instance, uh, Friday, well, let's start tomorrow. Thursday, uh, I sit on a conference call with 29 other arenas, NBA and NHL, and we talk about just what we're, what's going on. Last two weeks ago, we invited some architects to come on and talk. I'm not even sure why they did it because it wasn't very beneficial, but we did it. Um, and now we're back to just talking with us amongst as a group. Um, but so that that's taking place every week. And then you mentioned, you also mentioned to me um, last time we spoke, Dave, that every week you have a meeting with all of the general managers the, from the other NHL well, facilities. That's, that's that call. 
That's okay. that call. And then every Wednesday, uh, we have an internal call with the VPs. Um, and then every two weeks, we we extend that to the, the folks who are furloughed, that they can right. call in and just get an update and, and Waddell does an update. Then Friday of this week, uh, there's two things going on. There's a coalition. I uh, know Friday is the NHL is getting all the food and beverage people on from the NHL buildings to talk about how we're coming out of this. Right. So that's a two hour scheduled meeting that I'll sit on. And then at two 30, I get off at two o'clock, get off that call and two 30. I get on another call. Um, with. So it's, it's, it's the different groups and different operations that are going on in the building, trying to talk through. Right. So on what, on, what are the next steps coming through? This is an interesting one because, um, this one's being run by the people who run the uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta right? to tell us all how, since they opened their doors, they've been cashless. And so they're creating their own webinar to teach us all how to go cashless. Right. And, so that and, is a growing trend across facilities. Which is now the new trend, not just, but this thing has now escalated it to a, to a much higher level because my owners wanted to go cashless since the day we st- he took over. We've never done it. This now, we have a new point of sale system going in this summer that gives us the ability to just do uh, touch. Yeah, yeah. Touch so, and not so touch is that, so that kind of brings up um, kind of one last point I want to talk about in this segment, and then we'll move into talking about next steps, is has this created an opportunity for you to look at some of those initiatives, some of those projects that you've wanted to spend some time on right? And consider implementing into the building that now you can do it like the cashless point of sale system. Well, it, it's not even um, giving you the opportunity. It's forcing your hand. Forcing it. To do like it. we're going to have to do this. Nobody's going to want to touch money. Nobody's going to touch money. So, and yeah. so what, what you don't know, and there was an email discussing this just before I get on, is we're going to sit on this call and we have probably 10 of us from the arena that are sitting on this. We have finance people, food and beverage people, box office people, Larry and I, and some others to listen, to see how this works. And then we have to find out what the investment is. Like this just doesn't happen. Is there another server that we need to make this thing happen? And, and so you have to find out really, yes, we're being forced to do this. Yes. It's hard costs. What are the hard costs and the, and the, the, the unknowns of which we, we have no idea. And so that's why this call on Friday is going to be very significant in moving forward uh, of trying to be cashless. Sorry. So I think that's, that's, this is a good place to sort of bring this to a, to a close. I mean, in, in future segments, um, we're going to talk about all of these issues. Um, You know, how are you going to serve food and beverage to people that come in the facilities? Initially, are you going to start running events without fans the way so many of the, the major sports are talking about doing that? How does that work? in the buildings, safety and security, people coming in, there's a whole new segment of safety and security. People don't want to be stuck in lines. Are, are we going to move to, um, pass electronics to using more sniffer dogs for things? Um, well, it's the, the list goes on and on. Yeah. Right? It's so, interesting. Uh, the, the, the coolest one that Larry and I think we've seen is over in Europe. One of the soccer leagues has developed an app 
and you as the patron have to go to your doctor and it's kind of like clear at the airports and those kind of things right. you have to go to your doctor with this app and have the doctor certify you that you don't have the virus and it basically gives you a green stamp to be able to go to uh public events yeah so, i think that is genius yeah so so yeah so there's there's a multitude of things I mean, you're talking uh, about cost temperatures and all that stuff we can't get into that. That's not what yeah. we do. Yeah. But this yeah. is what my colleagues are throwing around. Like I, I sat on this call last Friday and they were talking about the girl who heads this up works in, uh, in Portland, Oregon. And apparently they got money to throw around because she went and bought this $15,000 eye scanner that tells you if you have the virus or not. <laughs> there you go. We'll, we'll expect to see one at PNC Arena. Yeah, I wouldn't hold your when, breath on that. When the next event comes through. <laughs> so uh, so hopefully we've piqued everybody's interest um, on this topic. And uh, we're going to bring it to a close here. But uh, stay tuned and watch for the next segment coming out. And I want to thank, uh, thank Dave and uh, our new associate professor, Dr. Kyle Buns, and Ellie Whittington for uh, joining us today. So stay tuned for the next one. Thanks, everybody.